Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are... However you're listening, welcome to America's talk radio show about opera, period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by creative consultant Oliver Camacho and co-host Matt Cummings. We are live on WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, 847-866-WNUR is our number in studio. Hey, call us on air. Have your voice heard, 847 866 9678. All right, tonight in Chalk Talk, the gloves are off as James Levine sues Peter Gelb and the Metropolitan Opera for defamation and breach of contract. We'll get you up to speed on the fight. I'm calling the face denter at Lincoln Center. And then Pop Quiz returns as Oliver and Matt face off in naming the 25 most performed operas in 2016 2017. Plus, we open up the listener mailbag and respond to your responses about the Dodson scale. And at 9.45 p.m., it's the two-minute drill. Everything you need to know from the past week in Operaland and our hot takes on those stories. Man, you keep thinking that one of these weeks, nothing's going to happen in Operaland. And then James Levine just decides to do something new. Oliver Camacho, how the hell are you? Um, I'm okay, but I've, like we were talking about James Levine already, or are we talking about how am I? No, how are you? Oh, okay. I'm just, I, it's called a teaser <laughs> in the radio business. Oh, okay. Oliver. I've been teased. Um, I'm a little bit crestfallen because Roger Federer made it to the uh, finals of the uh, Indian Wells tournament, the Masters tournament, and he fell to Juan Martin Del Potro. But there is. Is there no justice? I know. But there is a Have new no Croatian guy. His last name is Chorich. I have no idea what his first name is. I just know his last name is Chorich. Very good-looking guy, and he yeah. played like a rock star. And he had very a very sweaty butt. Okay. And I have to say, like, if you're gonna like make gym shorts or like tennis shorts, they should not look a different color when they're wet. They should. They, I'm sure we have the technology for that now. They should wick. My eye, yeah, because my eyes kept getting drawn to the wet the stains. Sweat. Yeah, of course. Of Which course was made do. me very curious about him. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure it did. Matt Cummings, how are your wicking shorts? I mean, they, they're doing their best, yeah. I gotta say. Are you, are you wearing a Penguins t shirt, by the way? I am. There? I gotta rep the hometown. Put that away, dude. What are the. Is that Penguins a team? It's a hockey team. <laughs> it's, a ho- oh, okay. it's a hockey team. They you hate, like hockey? The hated Pittsburgh I like Penguins. Pit- you can't grow up in Pittsburgh and oh. not like Pittsburgh okay. sports a little bit. What it's about gay impossible. guys? Do gay guys like Penguins? Probably a little bit. I don't okay. know. There's penguins like, are gay, right? They're a gay animal, right? The fathers like do all the work and do all the cooking. They all wear, they wear tuxedos all the time. I don't know what is that. <laughs> Let's talk. Some I like opera. to dance. Chalk talk on Opera Box Score. 
what you're listening to on WNUR 89.3 FM here. We've got a great show for you tonight. We're going to kick it off with our Shock Talk segment. James Levine and Peter Gelb, they are going at it. The gloves are off. This happened right before the weekend, I think, right, Oliver? Was it uh, Friday that I think all this went down? That Four or five days ago. Exactly. They, they started the battle of the statements. Exactly. So Levine has retained a lawyer. He is suing the Metropolitan Opera and Peter Gelb for defamation and breach of contract and is asking for five point eight five million dollars in compensation. Matt Cummings, what does James Levine stand to gain from this? I mean, that is my biggest question Attack. reading this story because I given all of the information that's come out about the about the situation that of all that has surrounded James Levine since the time he was a young up-and-coming conductor, it's hard to believe that there's literally no evidence of something happening at the Met. And given that they have been very circumspect about what they released to the press, it's hard to claim defamation because they haven't said anything that pro- that is unlikely to be true. So where where I'm really seeing it is he is he just setting himself up for a bigger humiliation? And we've seen cases this year where and recently where people try to fight the accusations. Uh, of abuse, and it, the tide has decisively turned against them. I mean, look at the difference between the way Woody Allen or Harvey Weinstein ha- were treated. That Those are pretty opposite stories. And what comes to mind when I hear the Levine story is, is he going to get a Larry Nassar-style smackdown in the court? Where the, the gymnastics coach from Michigan State who ran who essentially ran a, a molestation he was ring no out he was like practice. the doctor like the team doctor or something like that right yeah. yeah but he went but went and when he went to court he didn't really show very much remorse and yeah. the judge herself smacked him down saying that he was a despicable human being and given everything we know about the way james levine operate has has been operating or everything that's been reported i should say about the way james levine operates uh it's hard to believe that he's going to find a sympathetic judge oliver does james levine have any choice but to refute these claims though well i mean what we're learning from both of these uh sides being more vocal about how they really feel is that there's really no love lost between peter gelb and james levine uh apparently levine says somewhere in his uh complaint that um you know they knew about his 2016 police report filed against him but they took no disciplinary action then but they're just now riding the wave of the me too movement and using this cultural moment as an excuse to finally get rid of james levine because apparently james levine thinks that peter gelb has had it out for him this whole time uh and now this is finally like you know the way for them to get rid of him uh and then you know they Peter already... Gelb Peter Gelb responded or the Met responded by saying on the contrary we actually did all of these things to help keep you in this institution like creating this emeritus post and like allowing you to like take all this medical leave and you know not having really you know artistic leadership for those for that time that you were gone and you know you're still you know directing the Lindemann Young Artist program etc so they're basically saying that you're wrong because we we have done our best to give you a job here. We even created like, you know, this uh, amazing uh, you know, vault or like a hydraulic lift so that you can conduct from a wheelchair, even though it's clear to everybody. And I'm glad somebody said it like, you know, your conducting has not been what it has been like with with these physical ailments of late. 
you are the shadow of yourself. And regardless yeah. of how it felt, I mean, I don't know how far this goes back. I would be very shocked if a lot of this rancor doesn't date back to all of the press that surrounded him when the knowledge of his Parkinson's finally became public. Something that he that he and the men had tried to keep under wraps for a very long time, and then once it couldn't really be ignored or kept a secret anymore, it came out in a, a number of New York Times features, and then he was announced to be retiring very shortly thereafter, yeah. and it's it, it, it didn't seem that hard to me to see and the, at this the point, strings I no it. longer know where I've been reading. There's so many stories, but I think it was in the New York Times where... Um, there's talk about James Levine not really being happy with Peter Gelb's choices for what has been programmed and like some of the HD stuff and like choosing repertoire that's not in James Levine's, you know, territory. Um, so, yeah, there's there's some bad blood there and, and stuff is coming out. But know. didn't James Levine help get Peter Gelb the job all those years ago? It was 11 or 12 years ago that, that Gelb took over at the Met. I mean, Levine must have been instrumental in doing that. So I don't know. What is your, how do you, what is your evidence for that? I have no idea. If, you, if that's true, I'm not debating it, but I'm just saying, how do you know that? Well, just, just that Levine was there before Gelb was. was. So in, he's so influential. I mean, how, how could Levine be the music director and not have any say in who was going to become the general director at the Met? But what if the... I don't know. I really don't know. But what if the Met was not doing well under Volpe and they, they saw declining subscriptions or whatever. And so then the board decided that we need to like bring somebody in who's like savvy, mm-hmm. like a marketing guy, like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. some guy that's someone from the, the, from the, the hot new CD industry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're, they're shiny CDs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, Possibly. I don't, I don't know. I mean, if anybody Possibly. knows, I mean, that's, I, I was prepared for you to say that. So I don't know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, but, but there've been backstage stories of power struggles between James Levine and Pete uh, and and Joe Volpe and probably and Anthony Bliss and the former directors before that, like it, that would be nothing new, re- regardless if, if whether or not it is true. It, it would pretty much be par for the course. Maybe of Peter Gelb didn't want to wear those funny tight polos and like the thick glasses, and James Levine <laughs> was upset because if you're going to be a branch Lavinian, you know, or if you're going to be in the Church of Levin, Gelb wouldn't dress like him. Yeah, you have to wear a, a super tight. Stomach hugging, you know, polyester polo. Gross, (laughs) gross. Look, obviously the Met cannot afford the optics or even the finances of giving Levine almost six million dollars. Do you think like that's a lot of money? By the way, six million as a payout, five point eight five. I I think he. I believe I remember reading that his yearly annual compensation was a little bit over a million. So it's realistically about as much money as he would. And that was when he was the music director yeah. and the conductor. So yeah, this would have been probably, able to earn. I'm sure, if he, that, if he, I'm sure he yeah. took a pay cut when he went to emeritus. Yeah. Sure. So it's it, it's probably a lump sum that they that he and his lawyers conjured up of how much money. He You're probably going to live six more years. So <laughs> yeah, that he yeah. imagined he would be paid by them over the years. Yeah. And I'm wondering if maybe he's he's highballing them so that a, the so that they can reach a settlement and he can get at least a little bit more money out of them because he's very unlikely to find work as a conductor ever again. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, he's, he's he's done. I mean, he's really he's done. Who's yeah. going to want him now? Especially uh, with unless there's, there's some like Nambla orchestra we don't know about. <laughs> I mean, I'm, <laughs> the American press loves a good repentance story and he's made it clear that he's not even going to try to go that route and come back and come back in any sort of meaningful way. So I guess he's determined to go out with a bang and in a blaze of glory. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR. We're talking about the latest chapter in the James Levine story now. He's suing Peter Gelb and the Metropolitan Opera. Okay, so the Met cannot afford a big payout. They can't afford the finances. They can't afford the optics of that. But 
can they really afford to go to court? Because if they go to court and if it's revealed in court that some of their board members were aware of the truth of the allegations against Levine, then that puts a, a huge hole in the Mets' initial statement, which was, we never knew anything was going wrong. I don't think they started investigating until now. I mean, I feel like there's been all these rumors about these things, but... I mean, if they would have done a little bit of digging, look at Boston Globe was able to find like twenty four people that yeah. were like ready to speak out. You know, I, 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 their statement, their fir- initial statement yeah. of we didn't, we didn't really do, we didn't really do anything. Just it, it reeked of if nothing else, plausible deniability that they, it was a don't ask, don't tell kind of situation. If you, if you knew you, I'm sure they were, inc- people were encouraged. Okay, so I, I don't want to uh, be too indiscreet, but I was recently made aware of a very famous artistic person who has a really bad temper and is abusive and is known in the industry to be abusive, just psychologically this abusive. Is a, to us. Opera, I'm, opera I'm not going to say. You're not going to say. I'm not going to okay. say. And I was secondhand witness to this abuse, and I heard about it from a person who was abused. And this other person who was on the receiving end of this abuse was shocked. She or he said, you know, I've heard about these stories. You know, I just thought that, like, by now this person is aged and and probably is like, you know. But instead, what that person witnessed was, was that leader's team, the people that he or she surrounds himself or herself with, totally enable the behavior by turning a blind eye, blind eye to it. And so this person who received this abuse, it was just basically like verbal abuse. Um, you know, they after it happened, they, you know, they went to the person that I know and apologized on behalf of the offender, but did nothing to stop it while it was happening, even though they know they knew very well that it was going to happen and watched it happen. And so I think that they're in in the arts. There are people who we revere and who we hold up because maybe they are extremely talented and then they become iconic, you know, and you just begin to accept bad behavior because you worship them. It's a part of the cult of of genius. So so let me ask you then. So you were one circle removed. I was one person removed from the whole experience. Exactly. So how'd you feel about that? I mean, you were so. It made me so mad when I found it because the person who was on the receiving end of this, a person I'm, I'm close with, and I saw how they were reacting, how they took it, the crying, you know, like it was so unfair. And like knowing very well that this person did his or her best to meet her or his end of the bargain uh, of what their task or their job was supposed to be. They did their best and they went above and beyond and still had to suffer this indignity. It made me so mad. But I'm also like total, but like when it comes to these things, I don't respect authority. I tend to like fight back and push back, you know. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it made me really lose a ton of respect for this artist who I actually have always liked, you know, hmm. that's tough. But I mean, that's, that's, I'm only bringing it up because I think this has something to do with it, you know, like with, at the Met, like where he is, he was the Met, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Every, and they knew it and they yeah. profited off of it, that he yeah. was the Met. J- James Levine is the Met. Yeah. Going and back like to even, the 80s, you can find articles, people writing about who, how is, who's this, Who's this young conductor who's, you know, taken all of the prime conducting slots? Yeah, and, like, you look at Ravinia's season from, I guess, two years ago or last year when he conducted Mahler, I forget, Mahler 2, Mahler 5, Mahler 2, you know. And, like, Ravinia's classical music, 
uh, series is kind of waning. You know, they're programming less and less Costco music, you know. But that is one event where they could actually put a gala around it. Like, it was going to draw that many people. And it was going to be pouring rain, but they'll still raise money just because James Devine is conducting, you know. Uh, Matt, how disappointed will you be when, and this is my take on it, when this is inevitably settled out of court and we really are left none the wiser as to what the financial settlement was, what the punishments are going to be, who knew what when? I, I mean, if if that's the possibility then that ends up happening, I, I, I will f- definitely have less respect for the Mets PR team. <laughs> That seems like a one of the worst things that they could do, just because it reinforces the opinion that they covered it up. I I am wondering if there is a report there that would back up their claims, and if that will end up becoming public in order to ju- if if this case will force their hand. And how do you get out of something like this? Like what what is the best worst case scenario? Well, like do they say okay? You know, there's been a long, you know, history of cover up of this, you know, or turning a blind eye to this. And now we are settling. We're cleaning house. Yeah. Yeah. We're cleaning house. And from this point on, we, you know, we are going to make this a blah, you know? Yeah. Like, how do you get out of something like this? You know, there is going to be definitely collateral damage on on both sides. It's, yeah. it's metadamerung. Yeah. <laughs> we hopefully had, not their real Twilight, but... It's true. We had some other names, or you had some other names. For yeah, this. You know, the, the big boxing <laughs> matches of, of yesteryear, the Rumble in the Jungle and the Thrilla in Manila. That's well, racist. It's, it's not racist. Okay. It's just because it's the Philippines <laughs> is it's racist. Because you're not saying thriller, you're not pronouncing the R. But that it wouldn't rhyme anyway. <laughs> Matt, you came up with a couple. Yeah, we got we got the showdown in in Midtown. Hmm. <laughs> we got the civil case of disgrace. Hmm. We got the uh, odium for the podium. Hmm. But but my personal favorite was still Metodamarung. Yeah. Oh boy, watch this space. So is the show title going to be this week uh, the Metodamarung, or is it going to be the future director of the Nambla Orchestra? Uh, well, I think it's I think it's got to rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> I might just go with my original one. Uh, hey, look after the break, uh, pop quiz returns. Oliver and Matt go head to head trying to figure out the 25 most performed operas of 2016-2017. You can play along at home, of course. Keep it locked right here. Opera Box Score, WNUR 89.3. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Whether you're allergic to opera or you're a devoted fan, our show is for you. We tackle the week's opera headlines and body slam them into a sports radio setup. The result? 60 minutes of play-by-play analysis, exclusive interviews, and scandalous opinions. Plus the heroes, villains, and stats from this crazy art form that we love and love to complain about. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR. Opera class. Sports radio crass. This is Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, and Giovanna Jacques. Oh, that's an old one. <laughs> Sorry about that. I need to check that out. Giovanna Jacques, 
That's me, I guess. <laughs> Alive in my heart. No, it's actually Matt Cummings. Uh, hey, it's pop quiz time. Let us know if you've got an idea for pop quiz. You can always email us, operaboxscore at gmail.com, or just tweet us at operaboxscore. Opera America, the umbrella organization for opera in this country, just published its stats for the 25 most performed operas in 2016-2017. Uh, here's the idea, boys. You guys are playing head-to-head. And don't look over my shoulder at the answers. Not. Um, so uh, we'll go back and forth. You name one of the operas on the list, I give you a point. But if you name an opera that's not on the list, I'm going to take away a point from you. You're taking turns. And at some point, if you just want to take your money and run, if you just want to bank the points that you have, I'll turn over to the other person and I'll let them go as long as they want. And, of course, I'll let you know the ranking on the list. Give me your personal... um, I feel like there should be a bell when we get it right. Can you create a bell? Uh, I could do it with or my mouth. <laughs> it would. It would. Uh, no, it's okay. too complicated. Sorry, but I, I'll give you a cheer. Um, so look, uh, Matt Thanks. Cummings, you go first. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna play it safe and say uh, La Boheme. Okay. Yes. Correct. La Boheme. Okay. You get a point. Then I will what, take. What number is that? That is number twelve. Okay. I'll wow. I'll take Carmen. Okay. That is number one, Oliver. Nice Thank job. You. Thank you. Back to you, Matt. How are we? How are we feeling about Traviata? Traviata, we're feeling great. You get a point. That's number six. Marriage of Figaro. Yes, number four. What about Don Giovanni? Don Giovanni is number five. Hmm. Tosca. Tosca is number seven. We're tied three apiece. Butterfly. Butterfly number two. Wow, Butterfly was uh, more popular than Tosca. That's interesting. Um, how about uh, Magic Flute? A magic Flute number three. All right, so the top seven operas are now gone off the list, and we're tied at four. What about Barbara of Seville? Barbara of Seville, which is the last one oh, wow. of the Ooh. top 25. I thought that was strange. Yeah. All right, so it better be better known than Barbara of Seville, or else you're going to okay. lose a point. Hansel and Gretel. Yep, nice job, Oliver. Number 20 on the list. Uh, we definitely got to get some Wagner on here somewhere. Yeah. What's the it's most over, famous one out of the over, four? Yeah, it's over the mat here. Um, I'm Valkyrie, I guess. Yeah, Valkyrie is what my guess would be, too. And is it all? No. There is not a single Wagner show oh, wow. on this list. It, it's expensive, I guess. It's expensive. That, I, I thought I thought Flying Dutchman might have been... Uh, that what? seems to me. I think that's the, the easiest Wagner. I know, but that's not the most popular one by by far. But it's but the we're easiest just looking to at one year. Okay, um, we're just looking at twenty sixteen. I'm going to go to Belcanto. How about uh, Lucia Lamour? Yes, it is Lucia number thirteen. So Oliver pulls ahead. Oh no! Pressure's on. I know. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. What about Rigoletto? Uh, Rigoletto number nine. Nice job, Matt. Elixir of Love. Elixir of Love, not on the list what? of the top 25. Nope. No Elixir of Love. Um, Are you sure it's not an Italian? L'Elysir d'Amore? Oliver grasping at straws <laughs> over here in the left I'll corner. I'll try to close out the, the Verdi, yeah. mid, the middle Verdi. Yeah. What about Trovatore? Uh, Trovatore, also not on the list. Ah. Yes. Okay. okay. So let me see here. Matt's got four. Oliver's got... Five, and that includes your deductions. Okay. Romeo and Juliet. Good Yes. Now. Nice job. Oliver, pulling ahead here. Got it. Uh, we've still got one left in the top ten, which has not been mentioned. Which, which, where was Romeo and Juliet? Uh, Romeo is number ten. 
And and again, we're thinking last season, operas produced in America. So you, I encourage you to think in English. I encourage you to think small. I encourage you to think musical theater. Oh, musical theater doesn't count. Hey, man, I don't pick the shows, all right? I just uh, well, read that, them on that the That makes list. it much easier if you're going to include music theater. Uh, whose turn was it, by the way? It's, it, was, it was Matt's, right? It's up. It's on me. Yeah. Yeah. Um... You can always bank your points, of course, but then that's going to... Oh, what about Candide? Uh, Candide, no. Sorry, oh, you sir. Gave me a, you gave me a okay. misleading. Yeah. Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd. Nice job, Oliver. Yep. That was a gimme. Got it. Was that number eight? Uh, Sweeney Todd was 22. Yeah. Number eight on the list, still not mentioned. And there's some pretty standard, uh, I would argue, standard okay. composers you, on You here. have one coming up, right? This year, you're next, right? It's uh, Back to Matt. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. How do we feel about... Uh, how do we feel about Electra? We don't feel good uh, about Electra, Matt. No. You're, now you're starting to lose, lose points okay. here. Okay, Dido and Aeneas. Nope. What? No Dido. Nobody wants to see Dido. I, I Except for you. I don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like my, my top five. Uh, okay, everyone. What, 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 sort of, what sort of so, sort of eras are we looking? At uh, we're left? looking at we're, we're looking. There's some Belcanto stuff on Is here. Is there anything pre uh, 18th century? Uh, pre 18th century, there yeah. is not. Oh, I feel like a couple people did Norma last year. Nice we, one. Yep. Was, is Matt, that on there? Yeah, it is on there. Number 21 on the list. Nice. Okay. Uh, Manon. Uh, Manon is not on there. Wow. I'm surprised. Again, the number eight show produced in America last year. Uh, it is not mm, going to give. That's too big a hint. It's it's a surprising choice. I didn't think there'd be as many productions of that. Is um, that really helpful? Maybe hmm. not. Exactly. What about what about Verter? Jeez, oh, no. No, oh, no, okay. no, no. People do Verter a lot. I don't really know why. I'm going to say uh, one. Dead Man Walking. Nice job, Oliver. Dead Man Walking. Wow. Okay. So what number is that? Uh, Dead Man Walking was twenty three. Okay. Twenty three. So we're going uh, 24 is still available, as is 8. That's kind of your range here. Those are the last two? Uh, no. Okay. What I'm saying is somewhere 1 somewhere through 7 are gone, okay. and, and 25 is yeah. gone. What's the score right now? Matt, with his minuses, his deductions, he's got 2 points, and oh. Oliver's got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 points. I guess my rep choices are just really bold. So you can't, you can't bow out here. And we got 2 minutes left in no. the game. So. Um. What what uh where are we? What what sort of you need what language hint. is number you need, eight? You, uh, the, it's Russian. Russian. Oh, y- Onegin. Yeah. Oh, damn it! I was gonna say that. Yeah. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, Pagliacci. Pagliacci is not on this list. What? Which means Cavalleria is probably not on there either. Okay. Is that a, is that a guess, Matt, or is that you just thinking out I'm loud? I'm just now? gonna say. I mean, whoever does one without the other. Okay, so you're not gonna guess <laughs> that. You're thinking out loud. That would be a wise decision, Matt. Um. You can't bank your points at this po- at this no, stage of the game without losing. Without, uh, no, I w- I'm going to encourage you guys to think to think Mozart, Verdi, Puccini. More Mozart? I thought we named all the big ones. Okay, I got one. Are you? Is it your turn? I mean, no one said Cosi yeah. yet. Uh, Cosi not in the top twenty-five. Yeah. Okay, then I'm going to say Clemenza di Tito. Okay, so both of you guys lose a point for that. No Clemenza. 
More Mozart it's abduction? Ab- abduction is on the list, yeah. Wow. It's That's a vi- surprise. I love yeah. that opera. I, love I feel like no one else does. It's yeah. got an actor in it. It's very yeah. easy to produce. It okay. does have a, has a chorus, I I'm guess. I'm going to take a chance by saying Salome. Okay, no. No Salome, I'm Oh, afraid. man. Yeah. Do we have any German left? Uh, there is no German left. No. So. We are down to Italian and English. What okay. about Don Pasquale? Correct. Yes. You got one for Pasquale. Okay. Over to... Oliver, Italian and English, the only languages left here. One minute to go. Um, There's a two- mall in the night visitors. <laughs> <laughs> I walk, mother. Uh, no. He's, he's uh, that like, thing is wrong, because a mall in the night visitors is always the most performed <laughs> opera. So. Uh, maybe it's profe- is it only professional operas that they're... It's, it's, you've got to be a member of Opera America's yeah. roster. So, yeah, maybe not... Well, there's the buzzer. Oh, no. Uh, no, no. Uh, let's just throw out, each get one last guess. Ah, now he's getting All right. competitive. Yeah. All right. Uh, so well, Oliver just guessed them all, so it's back to Matt. Um, I'm going to say. While you're thinking, I'll remind our listeners, you got ideas for pop quizzes? Send them in. Operaboxscore at gmail.com. Okay, my last guess is Porgy and Bess. Porgy and Bess, not on the list, no. Damn I thought that was a good guess, though, actually. Yeah. I, well, I was hoping there was a Britain, but I can't think of any Britons that are. Don't guess. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not confident enough in any of them. When I said English, I meant American yeah. English. Yeah. Um, yeah. What about Tenderland? Oh my God! No, no Tenderland. Oh boy, you guys were doing so well, and then you started to. Okay, to so fade what, what what's left on the list? Okay, so um, well, uh, let me just tally up the points here. Uh, so uh, the final score was three to one. For Matt, somehow, Oliver, you started guessing poorly at the end there. Uh, here we go. Uh, number 11, Aida. Really? Oh, I can't believe we forgot Aida. No, I, Aida. I was thinking, but I was like, who's going to perform Aida? How many people are out there singing Aida? Number 11 on the, the list. Matt does 1,800 performances okay. something uh, per year. Maybe that was... I'm going to skip over 14. I'm going to say that last. Number 15, My Fair Lady. That's not an opera. Number oh, seven, but Lyric did it. Produced by opera houses. Yeah. So more more opera houses did My Fair Lady than did Entführung aus dem Serral. Number seventeen, Turandot. And is, again, is this by wait? Turandot? Is this by production or performance though? Uh, production. Oh, interesting. Production. Yeah. Uh, number nineteen, Falstaff. Number twenty-four, Oklahoma. And here we go. Okay, Oklahoma and My Fair Lady are not operas. I I'm sorry, Falstaff, so. but I would. But yeah. I. That's it's such an ensemble yeah, show. It's, it's very yeah. expensive. The fourteenth most produced opera in America. In 26, 2017, as one. Good really? for them. How That's about awesome. that? That's awesome. I just thought that was so thrilling. Yeah, that makes me happy. That. I thought that was really, But I'm really salty cool. about those music theater pieces. You They're should be. This. You should be. Well, it's the John McEnroe mm. in you. You know, you're just... Um, well, I have no problem with musical theater. I love yeah. musical theater. I liked it before I like opera. It's just that they're not... And I'd have no problem with crossover, but they're not the same thing. We'll step aside for one second. When we get back, listener mailbag. You're listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquest, Tobias Wright, Matt Cummings, Weston Williams, and Oliver the Man Camacho. Pop quiz. Oh boy, that's what it was. Pop quiz. <laughs> that was that was harder than I thought it was going to yeah. be. Did you? I mean, there. Are, there are some really popular ones that didn't that were just out of vogue. I mean, year. I I thought for sure Pagliacci has produced more than Aida because Pagliacci is such an easy opera to cast. Yeah, you know? yeah, true. 
There's some surprising stuff in there. No mm. Wagner. Is it really that difficult to produce Wagner? It's expensive to produce it, that's all. Yeah, it's expensive. That's true. Uh, hey, looking at our listener mailbag, Greg wrote into the show. He was talking about the Dodson scale. It's the metric that we've borrowed from friend of the show, Doug. Dodson, uh, you can look at it on our website, operaboxscore.com. And uh, Greg wrote, diversity, more is better. Originality, not so fast. And he makes a couple points in his email to us. Thanks for the note, by the way, Greg. Appreciate it. He says, look, enjoying live opera requires real investment both in time and money, and by far the best way to really enjoy watching an opera is to have a relationship with that opera. Know the plot, study the music, have experiences with with different productions. But, he goes on to say, opera is expensive, not always locally available. Side note, I don't know where Greg is, is listening from, unfortunately. Many of us mortals can only attend a few operas a year. Original operas are risky. There's ample repertoire among the great composers. Seeing Tosca once every five years is still thrilling. Do I really want to blow 33 to 50% of my annual opera budget on an unknown project with which I have no relationship and which has a high likelihood of disappointing me? He finishes up, he says, I get that the form needs to grow, but the classics are what they are for a reason, and there are plenty of them for people in my demographic. Again, side note, I don't know what his demographic is. He finishes and says, I suggest your scale might be rewarding expressions of originality that many of us don't cherish. Again, appreciate the letter, Greg. Matt Cummings is drawing breath over here yeah. in the corner of the studio. <laughs> For me, it's, I, and I don't want this to come out as a cop-out because I truly mean it, but it's all about balance. The scale, it, I mean, if we're talking about the scale itself, it gives room for some of the safe bread and butter if you're willing to take chances with the room that you have left and you can still come out positive. And it's not that it necessarily is taking up a slot as it's an, it's an opportunity for something new to grow in, into the art, through the art form. And the, the classics are so much better documented than these new operas that there are ways to experience them outside the opera house, which granted are not quite as visceral, maybe not quite as exciting, but how, how are you going to hear a recording of a brand new opera that hasn't ever been recording in any other way? There's something that can be just as exciting about the, uh, about the newness of it. And new doesn't necessarily mean thorny and inaccessible anymore. There was a period where it did, and I feel like people have, are moving past that. They, they're wanting to write music that people want to listen to again and stories that people want to experience and share with them. So that's me. So, dear Greg, um, I used to be just like you, and I, I can't believe the person I've become who is championing new work. And yes, there are new works that I've seen recently that didn't do it for me, but they have to exist in order for opera to continue. Like, if we only produce Madame Butterfly and, you know, Don Giovanni, uh, we are closing ourselves off to so many different stories that can be told. And if we really want to expand the audience, we have to start telling more stories. And uh, as one, the opera that made to number 14, 14 on the most produced operas, uh, is a perfect example. I mean, here is a chamber opera... Uh, with a transgender protagonist, with a transgender uh, librettist or co-librettist and a female conductor, a female composer. Uh, an opera like this 
you know, 50 years ago, 20 years ago, you would have never, would never had a chance to, you know, see the light of day. But now it does. And now it's being produced because there are these really scrappy companies that take chances on their very limited seasons and limited budgets and produce something like that. And they touch somebody and they find new venues and they reach an audience that might have never gone to the opera before. And then those people end up becoming fascinated by the potential of opera and then maybe can find their way to a Don Giovanni or to an Aida, you know? Uh, we have tried before to just produce, I mean, not me personally, but companies have tried to just produce, you know, these classic operas season after season and the audience is shrinking. And we have to, as a community, figure out how to, you know, uh, manage this loss, you know, how to stop the hemorrhage, you know. Well, hopefully we talk about the article about Lyric Opera on next week's show, but I just don't understand, as Oliver says, how programming standard repertoire in standard interpretations, historical interpretations, revival productions, I just don't understand how that promotes and helps develop this living art form. Uh, well, I disagree with you there. If you put on a classic show in a classic staging with outstanding singers. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, it can be amazing. Yeah. It, and this is the difference between Because you, you don't care me. about the singers. I, cause, so. Not really. But yeah, it's no. it, it, a, a performance, every, every Zeffirelli Bohème has a chance to be a brand new production with the with the blood that's in it on the stage. And people bring different things to it. And occasionally, it's it's still, lightning still strikes that production even though it's older than dirt and but. it gives it actually gives the audience a chance to focus on the performer uh who can transcend actually really bad productions and make something very special but is that really pushing the art form forward when it's just purely based on uh, uh no but it's if i was going to be it's harsh not, it's, not pushing the, it's not pushing the art form forward at all but no. it is preserving uh, what we need to preserve, uh, what's good about this art form. Yeah, yeah. The beauty of the live, unamplified human voice. Yeah, and, and giving that... an audience something that they can not gamble on, you know, where they will go. I mean, the reason why things are the programs because they will sell tickets. They will always sell tickets to Carmen. You'll always sell tickets to Traviata. And sometimes you just need to get people in the theater to experience opera, you know. And a very risky production of Carmen... You know, yeah, they're probably still going to hear the music and still be fine with it. But you can turn away audiences. You can lose audiences. Like if somebody goes to the opera for the first time mm -hmm. and they bring their grandchildren to see whatever Carmen, and it's like a Calito Biexto production where like Carmen takes a dump in Don Jose's <laughs> mouth or something like that. Yeah, you know? dude. Yeah, which is really not. <laughs> now you're talking my language, Oliver. Yeah, some, yeah. <laughs> you might never see those people ever again in your opera house. Look, you know? Greg is not anti-diversity, which is great. He says he's anti-originality. Here's the thing: is that this art form cannot continue to grow unless we have new operas and we have new people, new companies. Artists, audiences, we have those people investing in them. And I don't think you have to invest a lot of money in them. Oliver's point is that you can be a small, in Chicago, we would say a storefront opera company doing something like As One. And, and it can still be a moving experience. And it doesn't need to cost 33 to 50% of your opera going budget. I, I feel like there are ways to get access to that, even if you don't live in a big city. And again, I don't know where Greg is from, but it's so important to be investing at a small grassroots level and, and in what new work. What means the most for me about that investment is that 
the the diversity come the diversity in terms of whose voices we're hearing a lot of times will come from these new works there are there are practically zero wit female composers in the standard canon and that is not okay there are practically yeah. no non-white co- i yeah, i mean i I'm only there are practically, practically no women one. in the standard canon mm. that have any sort of agency over yeah. their own lives yeah. and you look at like the proportion of women studying to become singers and great singers who are more women. than 50% of singers. Yeah. I mean. And then you look at the standard canon of opera and so many of what we think of as the classics have a single female protagonist in them, you know, yeah. and maybe. a maid maybe. Yeah, exactly. Crazy. It's crazy. Thanks again, Greg, for the letter. Appreciate it. You can write to us opera box score at gmail.com. Hey, I just got Renee Fleming and Kelly O'Hara confused. I'll tell you why next on America's talk radio show about opera. It's on WNUR 89.3 FM. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Give me 60 more seconds of your time so I can share a secret with you. When I tell people about Opera Box Score, they always ask, how come we're a live talk radio show, not just a podcast? The answer? We want to give listeners like you the chance to call into our show and have your opinion heard live on air. It's easy. Stream our show live on WNUR.org slash pop-up on Mondays at 9 p.m. Central Time. Then, give us a call during the broadcast with your take on what we're talking about. The number? 847-866-WNUR. Wait, do people even have letters on their phones anymore? 847-866-9687. Talk to you later. This just in, the two-minute drill. Time for everything you need to know from the past week in Opera Land in less than two minutes. Renee Fleming, one of opera's biggest stars, is on Broadway, appearing in previews of an eagerly anticipated revival of Rodgers and Hammerstein's Carousel that will open next month. And Kelly O'Hara, who's a Tony-winning Broadway actress is at the Metropolitan Opera starring in its carnivalesque new production of Mozart's Così Fan Tutte that opened last weekend. The operas of Ernst Krenek were never performed in Europe in the 1930s under Nazi pressure but the Bavarian State Opera has announced Krenek's epic Carl V as part of its upcoming season. That choice is unrelated to the house's recent appointment of Belgian impresario Serge Denis as artistic director and its next music director Vladimir Yurovsky. The two men are going to start in 20. 20- 21. Few singers end up with 50-year careers at the Met, but the bass Paul Plischka is one of them. He's sung dozens of small Compa Mario parts. Those are character roles in opera. But two weekends ago, after singing his 1,672nd performance, that's the ninth most prolific performer in the company's history, he called it a day. The Glyndebourne Opera Cup is a new international competition for young singers shown on TV this month with soprano Danielle Denise presenting... The newly published memoirs of Andrew Lloyd Webber revealed that one of his proudest moments of his career was, quote, when one of my heroes, Shostakovich, saw Jesus Christ Superstar and he said he wished he'd composed it. On this day, March 19th, the birthday of Russian writer Nikolai Gogol, who wrote The Nose, which was later an opera. And it was the premiere of Gunnar's Faust at the Théâtre Lyrique in Paris. That's your two-minute drill. 
This is America's talk radio show about opera with George Cedarquest, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, Matt Cummings, and Weston Williams. Well, so much for Tobias Wright and Weston Williams. I think they're having <laughs> they're a date dead. tonight. I think yeah. They, to they, they, yeah. Uh, they get a shout out every time though, because they're part of the yeah. family. Yeah, and so does Javana so. apparently. <laughs> that was my That's mistake. Yeah. That, no, no Javana. So, uh, I, while you're, uh, what we're getting out of this segment, let's listen to uh, a little bit of Kelly O'Hara uh, of, from a clip just released by the Met for their current production of Cozy. She's singing Despina, by the way, Kelly. I have to say that that was the first time I heard that, and I'm so delighted by it. She respected the music so much. She was so rhythmic. She's got chops. And her pitch was so good. And and she only did a little bit of, like, characterization there, and in a very tasteful way. I mean, I I watched it a couple times, and this time just listening to it, I... I can hear her charisma. Yeah. I, I think that that's... But I mean, like, Despina can easily go camp, you know? Oh and sometimes gosh. it's played as camp, you know? Yeah. But she's saying that very, you know, clean, you know? And Mozart, I think, really sparkles when you observe the rhythm, you know? So um, there's this article that George alluded to that uh, was published by the Met not long ago as sort of a puff piece for this um, opera. The New York Times. Right. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it's, it's basically a marketing tool for, yeah. for the I, Met. I see what and Broadway. Saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um so it's a conversation between Renee Fleming and Kelly O'Hara and about what's the difference between singing opera and like singing musical theater. And I l- I really loved reading this because I I don't know anything about the musical theater world. But these are two singers who can both do both of them pretty well. Yeah. But I like the comparison that Kelly O'Hara or the the contrast that Kelly O'Hara draws our attention to the fact that like when you are doing Broadway, you actually have so much time to like figure out how your role works like the previews is really a time for you to learn and explore whereas an opera you're expected to have your interpretation down for opening night because you, you're expected to have the role completely memorized for the first staging rehearsal yeah usually but i'm saying like the first performance is not a preview it's like for an audience that's and when, the, that's critics. When the critics yeah. come yeah. yeah 
And also just the difference between like being in a dressing room on Broadway where like because you're there for so long, like you kind of create like your own space and it's like your private space. And in the opera, there's so many like stagehands and dressers and like announcements coming through. It's like you don't have any privacy and like you it's like go, go, go. They would you know? ne- the, 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 she said that they would network. They'd bring donors and important yeah, exactly. board members backstage. To oh, I know. Her, I know. Ex- yeah, I'm a part of that. I'm somebody who's yeah. ushering in donors usually <laughs> to the backstage area. Yeah. So. Just knock, knock, knocking on all the dressing rooms. Yeah. To- <laughs> But I think that O'Hara, at least in this clip, is uh, showing command of Italian. And she says she admits she doesn't know what these words mean, you know, but she's... But she lear- she clearly learned them. Yeah, she, she learned the pronunciation yeah. and she's, she's using the rhythm and she's letting Mozart do the work for her, you know? So do you think Kelly O'Hara is going to fare better in opera than Renee Fleming is going to fare in musical theater as Nettie Fowler in Carousel? Nettie, Nettie Fowler is kind of a role that benefits from having that real gravitas of voice. I mean, Shirley Verrett did it in the last big Broadway revival. Yeah. Denise Graves did Denise it here Graves in Chicago. Denise Graves did yeah. it in Lyri- at Lyric. And uh, the first one, I think, was Clara Mae Turner, who also was an operatic singer. And it, it you really... You have a couple big moments, and they need a real voice. Yeah. Uh, like it's kind of low, but I think Renee Fleming can. She's got a great chest voice. Yeah, mm. yeah, but uh, I don't. I don't think that Renee Fleming is announcing that she's going to transition her career into musical theater. No, I don't think she wants that schedule. But but like, you'll oh. never walk alone has been a signature song for her for a while, and yeah. I think that she can really stand and deliver it, and that's more than half the right. battle. And nor do I think that Kelly O'Hara is transitioning into opera. But I think this is not a bad crossover. I think like this is very, very welcome and might bring new people, is what we're all trying to do, into the theater to see her fans, you know, and they might get exposed to Cosi Fantute. Unfortunately, this production is not categorically winning rave reviews. Of- but she has been getting quite positive right. notices that I've seen from well, just about everyone. Wall Street Journal actually gave it a very good review, but The Observer, James Jordan, he was hates scathing. It was so awful. Yeah. <laughs> I was embarrassed reading it. It's like, how can you be so mean? You know. Yeah. Apparently, Renee Fleming, this is according to the Times article, became friends with uh, Kelly O'Hara when sh- they were doing Merry Widow together, which was at the Met in 2014. That seems like the perfect show for both of them to be in. Was that one of the top 25 that no, we didn't get? Okay. I, no, which it, it should have been. No, I mean, I, I'd it's rather see the Mary Widow show. than Oklahoma. You know, I, so. I've oh, seen yeah, Mary Widow Oliver. more times than than I should have, considering it's Mary Widow. I've been <laughs> and considering like, how old you are. Well, yeah. I've, been, I've been going to opera for, what, nine years? And yeah. I think I've seen five different productions <laughs> yeah. of Mary Widow, which yeah. is outrageous. Exactly. Yeah. I would love to see some Ernst Krenak done in this country. Yeah. It doesn't need to be Carl V, but... Um, do you know the show Johnny Spielt Auf? I've heard of it. I never listened to it. Yeah, same. It's same totally name. weird and totally bizarre and, and very much of its time, of that sort of 1930s era. I mean, there's like a banjo in the orchestration. I, think, I just, uh, I would love to direct that. I think Alex Ross talks about that a lot in his, in The Rest is Noise. Mm-hmm. Johnny Spielt Auf? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Johnny strikes up the band. Anyway, bravo to the Bavarian State Opera. Less of a bravo from me about the appointment of Serge Donis, the artistic director. He's had some financial discrepancies, shall we say. One of his problems was that um, when he was at the Opera de Lyon, he was like buying very expensive watches and pens as the company was slowly going underwater. And <laughs> there was just... Like the Ben Carson table? Yeah. Yeah. 30, it's just a, like a that. Dining just set, like that. Charter <laughs> flights. Nothing. I'm not, I'm not accusing it of booth. being sneaky or like under the table, but I'm saying 
it, optics. The optics were not good on Ben Carson. Well, ben Carson's an idiot. I don't, I'm not calling Serge Doni an idiot. It's just think about what you're spending your money on and how you're appearing to the people. We'll see how it he matters. does at the Bavarian <laughs> State Opera. I mean, just, how do you justify that? That's the only question. It's like, I don't you know, it's know. Like, are the, does the board say, well, we need to stay competitive, and so we have to provide them with really expensive pens? You've got to spend crazy. money to make money, crazy. Oliver. <laughs> exactly. yeah. can, can you imagine singing 1,672 performances anywhere? Well, that's about how many times I've sung Every Valley, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely feels like that after each and every, uh, after each and every advent. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. That's a lot of performances. Well, but hey, 50 years at any opera house, especially yeah. the Matt. No, I've always been a fan of Paul Plischka, actually. Yeah. Yeah. The Glyndebourne Opera Cup. This felt like such a such a marketing trick well, to me. Duh. <laughs> like <laughs> they have the 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 first lady of Glyndebourne is making an appearance. She's to, she's hosting it, man. Like yeah. it's televised and it's on TV. They, uh, I mean it, I I don't know. I hope it works, but I it's also I mean I hope that someone sees it and goes I mean, to I feel something like people, that they people are more likely to pay attention to something like that in England, unfortunately. I wish yeah. that we had a strong yeah. enough following for opera. We can have something, you know, something like that happen here in the U.S. Well, you would need a major... Joyce I mean, DiDonato. The, I don't know who would host it. Daniel Denise yeah. is quite savvy at her PR. Yeah. So no, this, yeah. I mean, I, I I don't know what's going on with her singing anymore, but I used to be a big fan. But she's no. singing Musetta at the Lyric next year, so okay, you'll get well, to hear it. What's happened to Susanna Phillips? <laughs> <laughs> she's for the Met only. Okay. <laughs> It would, but it would have to be tied in. You'd have to have a major opera star tied in with a, a summer festival. That's why Glyndebourne makes sense. Like it's a summer festival. It's a very yeah. specific set of dates, and mm-hmm. it's very contained. It's it's in this big garden mansion, and it's and well like, known. And it's well known, and it's a beautiful set for a for a TV series or a TV show. But can you imagine that happening at like it's like the Great Santa- British. Faye. Aria off. Yeah, it's just like that. Oh, you need some. Old are they going to have? Are they yeah. going to have the lesbian hosts cracking wise and <laughs> ruining? Be- coming on stage. Do you watch? Do you watch? Do you watch Schitt's Creek my, by any buns, oh, every stuff? show. Okay. Every so you know that uh, Dan Levy hosts the Canadian Bake Off show. I haven't watched that one, but the American okay. one is yeah. Nia Vardalos and her okay. husband. <laughs> I want to watch. I love uh, Dan Levy. I think he's beautiful. Only Andrew Lloyd Webber could take one of the greatest composers of the 20th century. And say that that man, Shostakovich, wanted to be Andrew Lloyd Webber. I would be banging my fist on the table with vehemence if it weren't bad radio, but I unabashedly love Jesus Christ Superstar. Okay. I, I think it is brilliant. I think that that type of music that he writes is so much better than when he, go, than when he went to the like neo-romantic schlocky stuff. But it is a great passion setting. Look, look. And it deserves to be a modern classic. It's, it's. We're not disputing that it's a great show. All I'm saying is, don't t- say Shostakovich wished he'd composed. And I'm quoting here from Maybe the memoirs. Did say that you don't know. I can't. Andrew Lloyd Webber just go away. Okay. Well, right now we're getting this from Slip Disc, so I, not verify. <laughs> wait until the book actually comes out before you. Actually, can't Roseanne Barr just go away? That's who I really want to go away. Question. I just, I okay, just want let's, Roseanne let's Barr. Go to <laughs> good call, bad call, please. Good call, bad call on Opera Box Score. I, I still think Roseanne Barr should go away. Okay, so if you want to have a very Oliver Camacho weekend, uh, <laughs> join me at Fellow Travelers this Friday, the Lyric Unlimited production. We had 
uh, Gregory Spears yes. on last week, and we loved him. And I can't wait to see the show. It's been getting great reviews. Then on Saturday, Trinidadian soprano Janine de Beek is giving a really inexpensive recital at the Ravinia uh, BGH Classic Series. I think it's like $10, $15, but she's awesome. Look her up on YouTube. Janine, J-E-A-N-I-N-E, de Beek, D-E-B-I-Q-U-E. She's amazing. And she's, uh, she's black, and we need more amazing black singers in this world. And then on Sunday, uh, Music of the Broke here in Chicago is putting on the St. John Passion uh, featuring Yulia Van Doren, an amazing Baroque uh, soprano. Uh, and I have to say, just going back to Vinny really quickly, they just announced their season. And I think they must have been listening to my gripes about how their class of vocal programming well, is. Well, of course they were, Oliver. <laughs> yeah. Because this year, their classical vocal programming is pretty amazing. Uh, They're starting off with a joint recital of Nadine Sierra and Michael Fabiana with pianist Kevin Murphy uh, celebrating Bernstein's centennial. Uh, Then later on that week, Nadine Sierra and Matthew Polanzani are giving a concert with the orchestra, uh, Italian favorites. Uh, There's also Federico von Stade appearing twice, once in recital with uh, mezzo-soprano Lori Rubin and pianist Jenny Tyra. And then she's singing the Bernstein First Symphony with the orchestra. I don't know what that is, but I'm sure it's going to be fine. And then at the end of the month, uh, Don Upshaw is giving a, a wacko recital of George Crumb and Caroline Shaw with Gilbert Kalish. Wow, it's all happening at Ravinia already? Tickets go on sale, I think, in May. So you got to wait to buy your tickets. But I see. Also, Chris Dealey is coming to do Prairie Home Companion. I mean, I'm just glad someone's one. doing some Bernstein that isn't Candide. Yeah. Oh, I like Candide. But everyone yeah, no. is doing Candide. They're also doing man. Chichester and Mass a lot. Yeah. So. They're not doing Mass that much. Okay. And that's not, an awesome Not nearly piece. compared to Candida. Yeah. Compared young to Candida, I mean. program is doing Candida yeah. this summer. Yeah. Like yeah. every single one. You got anything, pal, Matt? I mean, that was my good call. That was your your, your all <laughs> Candide? <done>. No Candide. <laughs> hey, that's it for this week's edition of America's Talk radio show about opera. The general manager at WNUR is Nick Anderson. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Check out his work at voxershorts.com. V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts on Twitter. We're at Opera Box Score. And if you listen to the podcast version of our show, please leave a review. It's the cheapest, fastest, and bestest way to promote our work. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For Matt Cummings, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera when I see you in court. We're back on Monday, March 26th at 9 p.m. Central with more opera news and hot takes. Please join us. This is WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, Chicago's sound experiment.